So we're in a conversation, for those of you that are visiting or haven't been keeping up, we're in a conversation about the days of our week. And we've been looking at every day because I don't want to waste a day. I don't ever want to wake up and, and, and go, man, that day was wasted. And I'll be honest, it came real close yesterday because it was like the quintessential fall day. It was like misty, rainy. You didn't want to get out. I was sitting on my back deck and uh, trying to watch football while, you know, navigating my kids wanting to watch things other than football. And so uh, I wanted to waste the day. But here's what I've noticed is that if we're not intentional about our time, if we're not intentional about the days of our week, we'll get to the end of the week and realize one more week is gone. And when we realize a week is gone, three weeks are gone, a month is gone, we look up, it's October, it's November, December. Guys, these are the fastest moving months of our year. And if we're not careful, we'll realize that we're the same people at the beginning of the year that we were at the end. And I don't want that for me or you. I want us to intentionally be looking to grow and to change in a positive way. And I feel like one of the ways that we can do that is to harness every single day that there's deep spiritual and practical uh, rhythms to our days. And if you haven't been keeping up with the conversation, you can find them all online because, as you know, I'm the most fascinating person to listen to in your spare time. So go uh, YouTube and go online and listen to those. But we've been talking about Sunday as the day of rest. Monday is the day where we start new. Tuesday is the day where we face the battle. Wednesday is the day that we create good in the world. And Thursday is the day that we deepen our faith. But what I want to do today is I want us to look at Friday. Everybody loves Friday. Like if you work a good schedule, you're, you know, Friday's to your weekend. If you're a kid in school, you got the weekend. If you work all the time, you don't care. But the reality is Friday is typically like that day that is set aside where you know something good is coming. You don't have to get up the next day or whatever. Friday's an exciting day, but I want to mess it up for you. I want to mess up every Friday for the rest of your life. I don't ever want you to wake up a Friday again and think of it as the same. I want you to know the deep spiritual impact that Friday can have on your life and the lives of the people around you. In my opinion, if you will rethink Friday, you will shape and change your community. You will shape and change your family. You will shape and change your own life because I believe Friday has the power to do that if we'll harness it and if we'll lean into it. So do I have your permission? I'm going to take it. In, in Old English, Friday used to be called Frig Day, F-R-I-G-G. So you know we've been looking at the Greek uh, mythology and, and, and uh, the Roman history. Friday was Frig Day, and it was named after the goddess of foreknowledge and wisdom. And so they were celebrating the goddess of foreknowledge and wisdom, and the Romans came in and they put Venus in that place. And I don't know what you know about Venus, but she's the goddess of love. And so what's fascinating about our history is that we celebrate Valentine's Day once a year, and not even that if you accidentally forget, but I promise I'll never do that again. We celebrate Valentine's Day once a year, but the Romans, they, they put in Venus as the day for Friday, and they celebrate Valentine's Day every Friday. Every Friday was their day of love, and it has the potential to be the same. We wake up every Friday, and we can treat it as if it's a Valentine's Day. See, I want to change that day of love to a, a day of action, where I don't want it just to be something that we receive, but I actually want Friday to be the day that we choose to put love back out into the world, where we carve out space and time on our Friday, where we just don't live it like it's a regular day, but we actually dedicate it to loving ourselves and loving those around us. See, I think Friday's the day that we can pause and we can go, okay, how have I loved this week? Have I loved well? 
Have I held love for myself? Have I not freely given the love that needs to be shared with others? Have I not treated people with the love and respect that they deserve? And we can evaluate, and we can evaluate how have I loved myself? Because we can't love others if we can't love ourselves, and so we can evaluate how much we love one another and ourselves, and we start to rethink and redirect because we have to recognize in our world that hate is winning. Hate is winning, and no matter where you go in the world, you find that hate is winning. Hate holds in this dark spaces of our world, and it holds on. Hate finds its way into the the dark crevices of our soul, and it camps out there, and it appears momentarily in, in, in unexpected times. I was talking to somebody the other day, and and, and, and they used a, a racial slang term sort of casually, and I just thought, wow, where did that come from? Like, I felt like we were past that now as a society, you know what I mean? And yet, I'm not saying this person was full of hate, but I'm saying it is, there are places in our hearts that if we have not freely given them over to God, things come out that we don't expect because our world it is a fallen world, and there are people dying in the streets, and children are without homes, and people are taking their own lives, and it's all because there's a vacuum of love in our world. And our world is experiencing a love deficit. And our lives, and often the lives of the people around us, are experiencing a shortness of, of love, and your friends need it, and your coworkers need it, and your family needs it, and the people in our community need it, and yet so many of us hoard and hold on to love, and we don't give it away freely. And I believe that we live in a broken world desperate to be fixed, but unless you and I are willing to fight for love, our relationships, our marriages, our communities will continue to fail, that our children will suffer, and our community will crumble, that the onus is on you and me to fight for love. And Jesus came to exemplify love. He came to show us what it looks like to love, but he didn't come because we're in a financial crisis. He didn't come because we're in a healthcare crisis. Jesus came because you and I, as a society at large, are in a love crisis. And we may not fully understand what's going on financially, and uh, we may not fully understand what's going on in healthcare, and we may not know how to fix it, but all of those things pale in comparison to this vacuum of love that we're experiencing as a society. And Jesus came to redefine what love means for us. We have to fight for it. We have to be people willing to fight for love, and if we're not willing to fight for it, then it'll never work long term. And at some point, Every friendship and marriage experiences problems. And the question that we have to ask is, is that relationship important enough for me to fight for it? Is that friendship important enough for me to fight for it? Is that community of faith that we're a part of important enough for me to fight for it? See, a lot of us, we get into conflict because that's part of living in close proximity to other human beings. And we don't feel like it's important enough to fight for it, so we bail, we walk away, we leave. We see marriages end so quickly because somebody wasn't willing to fight for it. We see churches fall apart because people aren't willing to fight for one another. That what happens here is critical, it's important, it's essential, it matters. But we have to understand the sacrifice that's involved. That this isn't happening because we don't understand finances or, or, or anything else in the world. It happens because we misuse and misappropriate love. We often use it for our own personal gain. We often use it to benefit self. We often use it to puff ourselves up. 
but we have to be willing to fight for love for others. And I want to invite you into a life of love. That wherever your feet go, you leave a trail of love where hate and deceit and malice have no place in your families, in your relationships, in your comings and goings, in your interactions with other human beings. Will we choose to be people who leave a trail of love everywhere that we go? But it's only going to happen when we decide we're going to fight for love. That was a disclaimer. Uh, fighting for love doesn't mean that you stalk the person that you were in a relationship with. It doesn't mean that you harass people. It doesn't mean that you tolerate toxic or, or uh, damaging relationships. It doesn't mean you put up with abuse. Uh, some relationships, friendships, even marriages become so abusive that you have to walk away. So this is not advocating for you to put up with or tolerate abuse. But the question we have to ask every time we feel like we have to walk away from a relationship or a friendship or a community the question we have to ask is, am I giving up too quickly? Because we as human beings are too quick to give up on one another. And we burn bridges and we tear and destroy relationships, families, homes, because we're too quick to give up on one another. And what I think we have to do is we have to understand that love will always cost you something. I don't care what it is. Love will always cost you something. Uh, for those of you that know, um, my wife loves animals and uh, I don't, uh, but she loves them. And so we have a lot of them, obviously. And uh, it costs her a lot. I mean, it costs me money, and i got to get hay. But it costs her a lot. It's time. Every day she's got to go out and take care of these things and give them food and water. And, and she does things with the horse hooves and uh, brushes things and, and all this stuff. And collects eggs and shovels manure. And we do all those things for our kids, too, because we love them. And, and so the idea is that when you love something, it will cost you something. It will come at some expense to you. But somehow we've bought this lie that when we enter into a relationship with one another, regardless, friendship, marriage, you know, how are just church people, We've thought, well, it's not going to cost me anything to love you. Because I'm assuming you're going to be perfect, and you're going to assume I'm going to be perfect, and neither of us are perfect. We're, we're quite sinful people, you and I, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to cost us something. But we have to choose here and now that love is going to win, that we're going to fight for love, and then we're not going to let hate or deceit or malice or, or jealousy or envy or anything come in and tear apart the things that God has placed in your life. And in order for us to fight for love, we have to first define it. I think a lot of us have this weird definition of love. And I've said this before, I love tacos. We've had a taco, this is a weird plug, but we've had a taco truck out here for the last week. And it's really good. I don't know if he'll be here next week or not. Uh, but you can swing by if you want. I love tacos. I love tacos off a truck. Street taco. It's complete side. Corn shell. But regardless... I also love my family. I love my wife. I love most of my kids. I mean, I love their things. That I, and we use the word interchangeably to like, I really like something insignificant and I really like things that are, you know, vital in my life. I mean, I love oxygen, you know what I mean? And so we have this weird relationship with the definition of love. And if we were to pull the room, we would all come up with some sort of different definition. It might all kind of somewhat look the same, but it by and large would be different. But the reality is we can't fight for something that we can't define. And our society has largely confused love for lust. And a lot of what we believe is love often ends up being lust, something that's a cheap version of what God created. And the Bible is very clear. When it describes love, and it describes love in 1 Corinthians 13, which if you've spent any time in church, you've heard this passage. If you've been to a wedding in the last 
I don't know, 50 years, you've heard this passage because it's a staple in every wedding that I've ever done and in every wedding I've ever attended. And the interesting thing about this passage, when used in the context of a a marriage is that we're a wedding, we often think that that's what it is. We, We think that it's this, you know, adoring couple standing up in front of people, pledging their love and life to one another. But when Paul penned these words, it was a far cry from an adoring couple standing on an altar. When, when Paul pins these words, he, he's talking to uh, the church of Corinth, and he says in chapter 13, he's speaking directly to the church that was not in love. Love was non-existent. And you may have heard this verse a million times, but I, I want you to hear it as if you've heard it for the first time. It says in verse 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, if I speak human or angelic languages, but do not have love, I'm a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and if I give my body in order to boast but do not love, I gain nothing. This is a really powerful passage Paul is describing faith so intense that you can move mountains. Now, I don't know if he's talking metaphorically or if he's talking practically, uh, but regardless, he's saying you can do that under the the umbrella of God, under the name of Jesus Christ. You can have uh, faith enough to move mountains and not have love, and it can be all for nothing. He's saying you can do all the spiritual things that you know you're supposed to do, But if you do not have love, it's all a waste. Paul declares love is the greatest power in a community that seems to be lacking love. The most powerful thing that God ever wanted for you is that you feel loved and that you give love. And the only thing that God asks of anyone who follows him is that they have love. And as a religion or as a big C church or whatever, we've started creating a lot of other things where you go, okay, well, you got to read your Bible and you got to pray and you got to tithe and you got to serve and you got to be in church every week. And all of those things are critical. All of those things are important. But we can do all of those things and not do them out of love and they be all for nothing. But here's what's beautiful is that if we'll actually prioritize our lives and place love at the top of our list, a love for God and a love for one another, all of those other things will come in line. We'll start doing those things because we love God so much we can't not do those things. And what Paul is describing is that love is so powerful, but if we don't love first, then we miss the mark. And he goes on in 14. He says, love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy, it is not boastful, it's not conceited. It does not act improperly, it's not selfish, it's not provoked, it does not keep record of wrong. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. I don't know about you, but this verse kind of gives me like a warm, fuzzy feeling. You know what I mean? It's like, ah, that's nice. It's just so uh, kind. And because we read it in weddings, I think what happens is we start to understand love as a feeling. We start to understand this passage as a feeling. This is what love makes me feel like. This is the way that a specific person makes me feel. And we pursue relationships because of how they they make us feel. And we use this list often as a checklist to go, okay, I've got all these things. Am I in love? 
All right, well, uh, you know, they're patient with me and they're kind. You know, checking it all off. The problem is this doesn't work long term. This doesn't work because there's no way that we can exemplify or feel all these things all the time. In fact, the last time you were hurt, I would, I would, I'm not a gambling man, but I would put money on the reality that you were hurt by someone who loved you. You were hurt by someone who trusted, you trusted. And someone that you would have probably thought met most of this criteria, but you were still hurt because this doesn't work. Love isn't about how you feel as much as it is about how you act. And unlike the marriage vow moment, Paul doesn't introduce this passage to affirm something that's already present in the community of faith. He presents this passage as a way to introduce into the community an ethic that is critical, that's vital, that's necessary in order to survive in the muddy waters of indifference and disagreement that's already present in the community. The church of Corinth was a mess. And the reason it was a mess is because it was diverse. See, there's something beautiful about diversity. People coming from different uh, places, socioeconomic status, ages, different experiences of the church. Diversity is beautiful and we celebrate it. But it comes with its own problems. And the church of Corinth was experiencing great diversity and great conflict. And yet Paul remains firm that diversity is non-negotiable. And God has called this community to diversity. But we've got to get along. And so what he's describing is he's describing attributes that aren't already present that Paul's poetic ode to love was not written to celebrate undying love that it already accomplished in a community. It was a call to action. He was calling the church of Corinth, and I believe he's calling us today to action. He's not talking about what's already present, which is how we get it wrong in a wedding. He's talking about the action. He's talking about the cost of community. It was not a tribute to what is, but an intervention to instruct them what they needed to do, what they had to create. And the love that Paul's talking about here, it's not passive and it's not fluffy. We love romantic comedies. Uh, I mean, I say we collectively, not me, but, you know, most people love romantic comedies. We love, you know, poems and, and all the romantic feelings because we love to be caught up in a feeling of love. But this kind of love that Paul's describing is an up at dawn. It's a feet on the ground, tools in hand, hardworking kind of love. It's not a passive, datey, you know, cute, write some cuddly notes and buy each other candy kind of a love. It is hardworking love. And it's the hardworking love that if not present in your homes and not present in our community, then we will suffer. Because the love that Paul is describing builds community and it nurtures positive social interaction. And love transcends our self-imposed caste system and our personal beliefs and it forms a whole holistic people who are anchored in the well-being of others. That love will not let us down if we genuinely live in it together. But we have to fight for it. It's not innate. It's not natural. It's not easy. And the second thing I think we have to do in order to fight for love is we have to choose it. You and I have to choose love. Love is not a feeling. Love's a choice. The problem is love isn't about how you feel, but it's the choice that you make. And I use these words when I, uh, when I do weddings. This is actually portions from uh, an actual wedding that I, I've done before, where I look both couple in the eye and I say, hey, this isn't about you anymore. This is now not about you. It's not about how you feel, but it's about what you choose. And you're going to wake up one day and you're not going to feel like you love somebody. 
You're going to wake up one day and you're going to be thinking about all the reasons they don't deserve your love. You're going to be thinking of all the reasons how you've given so much and they've given so little. And you look at a married uh, couple in a wedding ceremony, uh, probably won't get asked to do anymore, but they're uncomfortable. But it's the hard reality. If you've been married for a while, you know. But it's no different than being in community with one another. There's days where you wake up and you just go, I don't want to hang out with those people anymore. Look at all the reasons that I've done for them, and they've done nothing for me, but love is a choice. And when you enter into community or a marriage, it's not about you anymore, but it's about what you bring to the table. It's about what you give. It's about what you inspire and encourage others to do, that I choose to give love and show love, even when I don't feel like it. If you look at 1 Corinthians 1.13 again, you realize it's not painting a picture of how you feel. But I believe it's actually painting a picture of what you choose to do. It's telling us that we have a choice and love demands these things. Love is patient. We give patience. We don't look to receive it. This is a list of things we give. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not conceited. It doesn't act improperly. It's not selfish. It's not provoked. It does not keep record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things. Hopes all things, endures all things. This isn't a checklist of what you get to receive. This is a checklist of what you bring to community. It's a checklist of what you bring into a marriage, what you bring into a relationship, what you bring into any interaction that you have with other human beings. We exemplify these things because Christ in us is now uh, uh, permeating through us, through actions, through speech, through uh, our our will and our self-determination. And these are attributes that we are to have as followers of Christ. Now you may say, I want to feel like I'm in love. I want that fairy tale feeling and there's nothing wrong with that. And no one wants that more for you than God. But that feeling starts with making a choice. You want to feel like you're in love? Then choose to love. I choose to show love regardless. I don't care how I feel. I'm going to make a commitment to act in a way that makes sure that others feel love first. Have I failed? Absolutely. I fail all the time at it. So I'm not telling you something I'm good at. As every week, I'm telling you something that we all have to get better at, that if you fight to feel love, then you'll never be happy. No one ever falls in love hearing the command, love me, right? And what I found to be true is that if you fight to make others love you, you'll be miserable, but if you actually fight to show love, you'll feel love. It's the cyclical thing. We give love with no expectation, and we find that it comes back to us, but we don't just fall into incredible marriages and families and relationships and community as a church. We don't just fall into these things that are incredible and healthy. We fight for them. We fight for them. And we know through our conversation in Ephesians several months ago that, you know, we're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting something uh, deeper. We're fighting uh, the enemy, the unseen forces. But so often we've turned that into fighting one another But what we realize is that we don't just fall into love and it just work out. People don't just stay married 50, 60, 70 years because their lives were different or better than yours. They fought for it and they chose it every day. They chose to check their feelings at the door and fight for love, even in the darkest moments. And our marriages, they don't fail because we say uh, our feelings disappeared. They fail because we get lazy and we stop fighting. Our community Churches, relationships, friendships, they don't fail because we just decided we didn't want to do it anymore. We fail because we get lazy. We don't fight for one another. 
And there are people right now in our church, in our community of faith, who need you to fight for them. There are people who don't feel love. There are people who don't feel connected. There are people who don't feel uh, like they belong. And we've got to advocate on behalf of them. There are people that you know in your lives that don't feel God's love. And they experience God's love through you and me. That's the primary way that people see God's love is through you and me. We're his hands and his feet. And a lot of us, we don't show God's love well. But I believe that we are God's proof of love. And we have a responsibility to choose to show love. If you're in a community, we've got to choose to find creative ways to build love and to show love to one another. Well, we don't just wait around for someone else to, to do that. So often I hear people go, well, you, I don't feel connected. I don't feel like I've been, you know, I don't feel like I've been called or I haven't been visited or I haven't uh, had cards. And, and, and certainly we need to do better as a community of faith. But also don't sit around and wait for those things to come to you. Recognize your role in showing love to other people. That more often when we show love to other people, we all of a sudden realize people love us too. And so we don't wait around because love is not passive, but it's active. And what I believe is that it can transform you. I believe it can transform our community. And the third thing I want you to know is that in order to fight for love, we have to believe in it. We have to believe in it. It is remarkable what we can do as human beings when we truly believe in something. It is. You hear stories all the time of crazy feats of, uh, of, of human strength because uh, moments of, of, of strength and, and, and personal belief. Somebody will flip a car or, you know, run through a fire or, you know, something, do something remarkable because they believed in it. It was a passionate moment. And they rose to the occasion. And we need to come to a place where we believe in love again. I know you've been hurt. I've been hurt. I know you've been hurt because you're human like I am. And again, the people who hurt us the most are the people that uh, we thought loved us the most. And they probably do love us the most. And the closer we allow people, the, the, the deeper the hurt. But we've got to believe in love again. And there's this book in the Bible called Song of Solomon. It doesn't get read in church often because it's pretty racy. And historians have tried to like figure out what to do with it. And many theologians, they don't, they don't know what to make of the book. And they often dismiss it as, as God's love letter to us. But, uh, but it's not. It's about passion for others, for one another. And people often think that they think that the romantic human love is beneath God, but it's not. He created it. And in Song of Solomon 8, we find this Really fiery, passionate passage. It says, for love is as strong as death. Ardent love is unrelenting as Sheol. Love's flames are fiery flames, the fiercest of all. Mighty waters cannot extinguish love. Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. And here we thought Johnny Cash was the first to describe the burning ring of fire. But Solomon is defining love as a burning fire that cannot be put out. Oceans can't extinguish it. Money can't buy it. Oceans can't extinguish it. Nothing can drown it out. And nothing can, uh, can, take, can remove it from us. And there's this great power in love. And we don't have love extinguished in our lives. But we can give it up. We give it away. We give up on it all the time. Love doesn't die out. Love doesn't flame out. We stop fighting for it. We stop advocating on behalf of others. And you may feel like you've 
don't have enough love to give. You may feel like you are tired of giving love and not receiving anything back, and I get it. There are people in your life that you're going to be called to love that aren't going to love you back. It's not going to be cyclical. You're not going to feel that immediate return. You may never feel a return, but almost every time I don't feel like I have enough love to give, I realize that I've become disconnected from the source of love. I've been disconnected from God, who gives us the ability to love and love well, and to love and to love again, and to continue to love. And as long as we're trying to love others on our own, it'll always be tainted by our selfishness, it'll always be ruined by our pride, and yet when the source of our love for others is God, it's pure and it's holy, and where hate tears apart and destroys, I believe love heals. Love repairs, love builds, love sustains, love restores, love creates. And in 1 Timothy 6, verse 11, it says, But you, man of God, run from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life that you were called to have and have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. So here's how I want us to close this morning. I want to close with a question. I want to close with a question that I want you to contemplate for yourself. What areas of your life do you need to fight for love? What areas of your life have you given up on love? Maybe it's people, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a dream, but you've given up on love and God wants to bring that passion back. He wants to restore that fight in you where you don't give up too quickly, where we don't give in too often. But we have this endurance that comes from God where we're able to love others well because if I'm honest, people won't always deserve your love so we have to choose. Are we gonna give love? But there are people all around you that are waiting. They're hoping that you're gonna fight for them. They're hoping that you won't give up on them. And I believe God's placed you, he's placed me in various people's lives for a reason. He's placed us in their lives to show them God's unconditional love. Now, it's going to be imperfect and impure because we're human. But we've got to try. We can't give up. We can't give up on love. So who are you going to fight for this week? How are you going to make Fridays your day where you fight for love? Where you evaluate how you've behaved and acted and we recorrect and we re- get, a, get a new game plan and enter into our week where we go, okay, I'm fighting for love again. I'm fighting for love again. Fighting for love again. If you would bow your head and close your eyes across the room. This morning as we transition and we begin to close, I want to give you an opportunity. Because maybe you're here and you don't know the love of God. Or maybe you've known the love of God and you've walked away from it. Maybe you've known the love of God and you thought God left you and abandoned you, but I want you to know he didn't. But see, you and I, we cannot love others. And we really can't even love ourselves until we understand the love of God. So this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to begin a relationship with a God who loves you more than you could ever imagine, who sent his one and only son to die on the cross so that we might understand love. 
So with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you're here and you say, I don't know Christ. I don't know Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity to pray this prayer with me. I want you to repeat these words after me. I'm going to give you the words. You give it the meaning. But across the room, we're all going to pray this. But if that's you and you say, I don't know Christ, this is the beginning of a conversation between you and God. So I want you to say, God, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for my sins. I repent and I choose to follow you every day of my life. I accept the free gift of salvation. Thank you for loving me unconditionally giving me the ability and the power to love others well. In Jesus' name. Father in heaven, we thank you for those that may be praying this prayer for the millionth time or the first time, God. My prayer is that you would present yourself real and mighty to them, to us, to all of us, that we would feel an overwhelming sense of love, a love that is overflowing, that spills out our lives into the lives of everyone we come into contact with, that everywhere we go, we leave a trail of love. Father, we speak directly against deceit and malice and hate and bitterness and anger and selfishness and pride. We choose today to not allow those things to have space in our hearts any longer, that they've taken up too much space for far too long. But we eradicate those things to allow love to fill us, to overflowing. So, Father, we thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. If you would stand across the room.